Alright, well good morning. I'm going to go ahead and, and give y'all all your, uh, what's it called, before you, uh, or you warn people about what's coming. There's a word, y'all know what I mean. Disclaimers. Disclaimers. Thank y'all. What would I do without y'all? <laughs> go ahead and give you your disclaimers before we get into today's sermon. This is the most controversial topic I've preached from this pulpit. It's more controversial than homosexuality. It's more controversial than abortion. It's more controversial than a lot of topics that a lot of people have strong opinions on. And by the time we get to the end of the sermon, you'll know exactly why. I preached this uh, on the same topic three, three years ago. Just over three years ago as we were journeying through Mark. Y'all remember that long uh, journey we took through Mark. It took us three years to get through the gospel. Um, but you know me. And hopefully you know my heart. You know I do not skip anything. And if you really know me, you know that I will not lie. I will not sugarcoat. I will not be deceptive or beat around the bush in order to not push people away. And I know that sounds bad, but it's the truth. Um, there are a lot of pastors, I, and I, I say some, let me say some, because I don't think it's the general rule based on all the pastors that I personally know. I do not think it's anywhere near a lot. I will say some. There are some pastors who will avoid topics in the pulpit that they believe will push people away because their goal is to try to bring as many people in as they can and then address those topics in private settings, such as small groups or whatever. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that they have any ill intentions of doing that. I'm not gonna say that they have any, any wrong motives for doing that. I just can't do that, Pastor Pastor. Um, this is the topic. The reason I say it's the most controversial is because this is the topic that, when preached as honestly as I can preach it, will push the majority of adults away from this church. And, and I know that. And I'm not blind to that. And it gives me a lot of trouble. It gives me a lot of anguish and, and angst and stress. Um, and I will say this. If there is anything, this is the only thing that I know of that could drive me away from because it's not just about what I believe. It's as the role of pastor how I have to enforce. How I have to encourage. What advice do I give as a pastor to people? Because as the pastor, I have that role. As a member, I don't. As a member, I can believe whatever I want. But I don't have the role of actually affecting the church by decisions based on these things. And I will be honest right up front. And I will tell you, and then we're going to go through it. As a pastor, based off of the years that I've struggled with this and the years of study that I've put into this, I do not know, as a pastor, how to counsel a couple in this situation. I don't know. I haven't known for years, and I still don't know. And... The, the consequences are a lot more than you think because as a pastor I've sat down and thought through all of them that I can think through it's a lot bigger deal than you may think 
Um, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this scripture. I'm going to show you everything that I know. I'm going to tell you exactly, I'm going to show you what I believe, but I'm going to show you why from the scripture. I'm, 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 I'm going to show you everything I got. I'm also going to let you know that I have talked with over the past four years, I know I've talked with at least six pastors on this topic. None of them agree with me. They all understand why I believe what I believe, but none of them take the same stance in their church. Let me put it that way. None of them take the same stance in their church. And that is the reason why it's so hard for me to know what to do. Because if I'm the only one, I have to be completely arrogant to think, well, I'm right and everybody's wrong. I'm humble enough to recognize maybe there's something that they see that I don't. Maybe there's something they understand that I don't. But I've yet to hear anyone give me that answer. I've yet to have someone tell me this is why and me say, oh, I get that. I get it. So, I'm your pastor and hopefully you know my heart. You all know me, so I would pray you all know my heart. Um, if you don't know my heart and you're really upset with me from here, because so, this is goes online too. If you hear this or watch this online and you don't know my heart and you get really upset with me, it doesn't it doesn't anguish me because I know you don't know me. Um, it's only the ones that know me and think that I have some type of wrong intentions or wrong motives or just stuff and that's that's what hurts. Because I promise you, if I could change the scriptures in this case I would. But I'm not God and I don't have that authority. So let's look at it. And what we're going to do is I will tell you up front, there's a rule. Jesus gives us a rule and he gives us an exception. We will get to the exception, but we're going to spend the majority of this sermon talking about the rule and then at the end we'll get to the exception. So if you know there's an exception coming, just wait for it. Okay? We will get to the exception at the end, but the majority of the sermon will be focused on the rule. Because I don't want to say the exception nullifies the rule because it doesn't. Alright, before we get into the meat of this, let's, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you. Father, we genuinely love you from our hearts. Father, you know, as well as I've just admitted, that I have struggled with this topic for years. And Father, I continue to pray for you to give me clarity on this subject. Father, I pray that as I preach this from the pulpit, that you will make sure that I... I do not say anything that does not match up with your scripture. Even if I don't have it all figured out, at least let me, what I say, at least let it be true. Father, I pray that you would give us all an open mind and open heart to accept your word, whether we already have preconceived ideas that are against your word or not. Give us all a heart and understanding to be able to accept your word and help us to understand it rightfully so that we can live it out. Because it's not enough just to know what it says. We must also learn how to live by it. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So this is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew is going through the Sermon on the Mount. He went through the Beatitudes. I mean, Jesus is in Matthew. Jesus went through the uh, Beatitudes already. 
it gets into the teaching, and this is our next section of teaching. Matthew 5, 27-32, adultery begins in the heart. So Matthew 5, 27. says, You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. Now this is his teaching. So this is the teaching that Jesus gives. He says, You've heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So there's the teaching. Jesus says, you've heard that it says, don't actually commit the act of adultery, but I'm telling you, if you, if you lust after someone in your mind, you've already committed adultery in your heart. God doesn't care just about the outward actions. He also cares about the inward thoughts, the inward heart, because it's the heart that matters. Then he gives application, and that's what a good teacher does. Here's a teaching, here's how you apply it. So then he gives application. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I do not believe that Jesus is teaching self-mutilation. I don't. I don't believe you should gouge your eye out, and I really don't believe your wife should help you gouge your eye out because you can't come up with the strength to do it. That's not, that's not what Jesus is teaching. So what is he teaching? Why use such an extreme language? Because he is teaching a very important point. He's saying, look, if you're lusting or if you're committing adultery, either one, with sexual immorality will send you to hell. And we say, well, of course. If you commit sin, you are judgment to go into hell. Any sin, your judgment to, you, are, you are going to go to hell for committing any sin. I mean, we all agree with that, right? I mean, you can lie. That's enough to send you to hell. You can hate someone. That's what he just got done talking about. That's enough. Murder is not the only thing that can send you to hell. Hating can send you to hell. Adultery is not the only thing that can send you to hell. Lusting can send you to hell. Any form of sin, sexual immorality, the consequence is hell. So, getting rid of that sin, gouging your eye out, cutting your hand off, whatever the case may be, getting rid of sin, turning from sin, is worth not going to hell forever with your whole body. It's worth it. So do I think it's worth it to gouge your eye out if that would solve the problem? Yes. But guess what? Gouging your eye out is not going to solve the problem. And that's why Jesus is not really teaching mutilation. I heard it said one time, I don't think it's true, I don't think it's true, but it's just, I heard it, um, where a guy had read this scripture, he had a problem with pornography, he read this scripture and he went and gouged his eye out. And then he came back and said, now I'm a one-eyed adulterer. Because it didn't fix the problem. The problem is not the eye. The problem is not the hand. The problem is the heart. The heart. That doesn't make you out of the heart out of you. The problem, you get what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is teaching. But he's teaching it in such bold language that it's actually true. It is true that it would be better to get rid of your eye and to lop off your hand than to go to hell with your whole body. That is true. And so that's the, the strength with which he's teaching this about sexual immorality. You must, what? 
Repent. That's what He's teaching. And that's what Jesus is teaching throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You must repent. You must turn from sin to God. Now, in this context, because we've only got a few sentences into the, into the teaching, He doesn't give us the full solution of how to repent and how to be saved and how to be forgiven. That comes later. Okay? But we're just sticking in this context right now. So I'll just jump ahead and tell you, repentance is a one-time thing. It is a one-time commitment and decision that I am turning from sin to God. Now, will you turn from all sin perfectly? No. Will you sin again? Yes. Does that mean if you sin again, you've lost your salvation? No. Repentance, Jesus is saying literally, if you are living in sin, turn, make the decision to turn from sin to God. Make the commitment to God that I'm going to turn from sin and I'm going to follow you. God knows your heart. He knows if you meant it. And that one-time decision will, in fact, grant you eternal life forever, even when you sin in the future. So I jumped ahead to get what Jesus teaches later, but now let's get back to the actual teaching. So that's the application. He teaches that if you lust after someone, it's just, it will, it will, it will condemn you just as much as actually committing the sin. Now, are the consequences different? Yes. You've got to understand there are a lot bigger consequences. And let me just give this as an example. And please don't think I'm condoning this. I'm not at all. This is not something I do. Don't think that I'm making excuses because everybody's like, oh, you're always making excuses for men. I'm not making excuses for men. I'm using this as examples because it's much safer for me to use a man as an example doing something wrong than it is for me to use a woman as an example. I'm just saying. So, so there are much bigger consequences or different consequences if a husband and wife is walking through Walmart and an attractive woman walks by and the husband's pushing the buggy and then he does this and he runs into something because he's looking and lusting after another woman and the wife sees him. Guess what? There will be consequences. Okay, the first consequence is physical contact immediately. That's the first consequence. The next consequence is sleeping on the couch. And there will be longer protracted consequences. It won't just be over because your arm's a little sore. It doesn't work that way. But I, I, I'm sure we could all agree there are probably much different consequences than had she found him in her bedroom the same woman. There are much different consequences. Now, I'm not excusing either of those because Jesus said they're both adults. Both of them. I'm just saying in life, there are different consequences to our actions. Now, let's go on because that comes into play at the end when we talk about application as a pastor. How do we apply these scenarios? That's why this comes in later. But we got to hurry because I started late and I'm going slow. Alright. So in context, adultery is serious. Therefore, I cannot say the next thing that he teaches on the topic is not serious. Because he's made it so serious by saying you need to gouge your eye out, you need to cut your hand off, or you're going to go to hell. That's how serious he's made it. Therefore, the next words cannot be said, okay, well this is not a big deal. This is He goes on to say, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must not give her, must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Now Matthew here includes what we call the exception. And like I said, we're going to talk about, I'm not avoiding this exception, I'm not going to skip it, we will get back to it, but I want to talk about the rule before we talk about the exception. So the question is, what is the rule here? What is the rule that Jesus is giving us? And that's clear. Jesus is saying, if you get a divorce, and let's leave the exception out for, for the context of understanding the rule. The rule is, if you get a divorce, and you then remarry, you commit adultery. Why? Because in God's sight, you're still married. If you weren't still married, you can't commit adultery. It's not adultery. If you're divorced and you're no longer married and you're now single and in God's sight you're not married and you remarry, it's not adultery. Adultery means you or the person that you're having sex with is married. That's what adultery is. Somebody in the party is married. That's the rule Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches the rule, if you divorce and remarry while your spouse is still alive, it's adultery. Adultery means because God still considers you married. That's the rule. We look, we, if we go on, look on to Matthew 19, that was Matthew 5, he addresses it again, Matthew 19, he explains how, why it is this way. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across from the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Now, can I just stop for just one second? It starts this teaching of adultery, Jesus' teaching about adultery. It starts this off by saying there are large crowds and Jesus was healing people. I think that's important to understand Jesus' heart as well. Because you can say, okay, I understand your heart, but you know, I'm not the one that wrote this. I'm not the one that came up with these rules. Jesus is the one I'm really upset with. You know, that, that is a, a, a logical place someone can come to. I think it's important that they started this off with Jesus healing large amounts of people, showing his heart that he actually cares for these people. He loves these people. He's reaching out to these people to help and save these people. So we, his heart is the same. He goes on to say, some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? I won't get into it, but there were two, two main rules of thought where one said that you could only divorce your wife if they were caught in the act of adultery. And then the other rule of thought was you could divorce your wife on any grounds. As a matter of fact, some Jewish, I don't know where they are, how to pull them up, but I'm sure I could Google it, eventually find it. But I've heard it over and over and over, so I'm pretty sure it's true. Some Jewish rabbis had actually wrote on this topic, were talking about, explaining this topic, and they even included the idea that if your wife burnt your toast, you could divorce her on those grounds. If your wife burnt the food, you could divorce her on those grounds. Because you could divorce your wife on any grounds, according to the one school of thought. Um, Shemai Halel, I think, is, is the name of the two rabbis that taught these two different thought processes. But then the, the other school was you can only divorce on, on the grounds of adultery. So then Jesus was asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? So this we understand what, what side he was coming from, the Pharisee was coming from. Jesus responded, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, 
but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And that is the teaching that Jesus is teaching here. That's the basis for why this rule is true. Why is it adultery if they remarry? Because they're still married in God's sight because Jesus said that when they become one flesh, in other words, when, honestly, when they have sex, and they're joined together in matrimony, and they become one flesh, it says God joins them together. Not people join them together. It says God has joined together. Let no one separate. And so when you have this idea that God has joined two people together, then in order to dissolve that marriage so that they would be free to remarry, then God would have to unjoin them. In other words, if God joins you together and He says you're married, you can go to the court, you can have a judge rule in your favor, you can get all the papers you want saying that you're divorced, but if God joins you together, only God can separate you. It doesn't matter what another human says, even if they're a judge, even if it's the law of the country, even if it's your pastor. It doesn't matter what another human said. If God says you're still married, you're still married. Does it mean that once you're married, that's it? You're always married? No. According to God, no. He gives exceptions, and we're going to look at those exceptions. But you've got to understand the rule before you can understand the exception. You've got to understand why is it adultery? Why did Jesus teach this? And because Jesus said, it's because God joins you together in marriage. He said, looks at two people and says, okay, in my mind, in God's mind, you're married. And then they say, well, we're not married anymore. And God says, no, you're married. That's where the problem comes in. Let's, let's keep going. So, if that's true, which it is, but if that's true, if when God joins two people together, even if they get a divorce according to the law, they're still married, why is it that in Moses, I mean Moses said in Deuteronomy 24, that you could send, give divorce papers to someone and be divorced? Why? Because we know that Moses spoke through, as a prophet, the words of God. So if God gives a way for you to get a divorce, then that would be God saying you can get a divorce. Therefore, if God says you can get a divorce, then, you, then you're divorced, right? I mean, I'll agree with that. Would y'all agree with that? If God says you're, you're divorced, you do it the way I say it, and you're divorced, you're divorced. I will agree with that. So let's look at that. Because it said they're, they're referring back to Moses in Deuteronomy 24. That's what they're referring back to. But let's, let's look at what they said. It says, Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? Now, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 24 in a minute, but let's finish looking at what Jesus says. They said, Why then did Moses tell us that we could get divorces? If, if what Jesus is saying is true, then, then why did Moses say that we could get divorces? Jesus tells, I'm going to give you the answer, and then we're going to look back at what Moses said. He told them, Moses permitted you, not commanded you, he permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. So what does that mean? It means you have two people who have chosen to spend their lives together and they got married, right? Everybody who gets married, they chose, at some point they loved each other. At least of all the people we know, okay? I'm not going to talk about arranged marriages in other countries and all that stuff. Let's just talk about in our country the people we know. When people get married, at some point they loved each other. At some point, they decided they wanted to, to spend the rest of their life together. 
But then they go to get a divorce, and Jesus says, because the hardness of your hearts. What that means is, it could be one person's fault, it could be both people's fault, and I'll give you an example. You have one who commits the sin. We're going to stick with men, okay? It could be women, but we're just going to stick with men for examples. A man it starts looking at pornography. He's addicted to pornography. That is sexual immorality. According to Jesus, that's the same as adultery. Okay? The woman is mad at him, obviously. The women should be mad at him. Okay? But we have this thing called repentance. If the man truly repents, what does truly repent mean? It doesn't mean I'm sorry. It doesn't mean I'm sorry I won't do it again. That's not repentance. That's grief. Grief can be brought on because I got caught. Grief is not repentance. Repentance means I have turned. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done. If he truly repents from his heart, then she should forgive him as a Christian because we've been forgiven by God of all of our repentance. Now, we get into the exceptions later, but let's just stick with the example. If he does not repent, it's because of the hardness of his heart. If he won't stop, that's because of the hardness of his heart. And do you think that they can live together peaceably if he won't stop? No. They can't live together peaceably. They hate each other. They hate each other's guts in the house. It's, it's turmoil. It's chaos. And they're always filled with hate. And Jesus is saying there's cases in which because of you, the hardness of your hearts in which you're not willing to repent and you're not willing to forgive because it takes both sides. <clears throat> If one party's not willing to repent because of the hardness of their heart, and the other party's not willing to forgive because of the hardness of their heart, he's saying what happens is you can't peaceably live together. And if you can't peaceably live together, Moses permitted you to get divorced and make it official so everybody knows you're divorced and sin and separate. But as we'll see, that doesn't mean you can then remarry. What it means is you separate, you divorce until you can soften and remove the hardness callous from your hearts where one person truly does repent and the other person really does forgive and you reconcile. And we're going to look at that from Paul later. But why was Moses give us a command? Why did God say we could divorce? Because of the hardness of our hearts and we can't live peaceably together. Either you're not willing to truly repent or you're not willing to forgive. Either one. So, that's what he said, because of the hardness of your heart. He says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, the disciples thought that this was too extreme. The disciples thought, can't be this way. That can't possibly be true. The disciples thought the same thing that many of us Americans think when we read and hear the same passage. They think, if that, that, there's no way... That's really the case. That if I get a divorce because somebody wronged me, I therefore must remain single the rest of my life. There's no way that's true. And that's the same response that the disciples gave. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. That was their response. If that's true, that the person you marry, you have to stay with the rest of your life or you must remain single, then it's best not even get married at all. I disagree. I believe the best, it's best to marry, and I believe it's best to marry and forgive and, and reconcile. That's what I believe. But that was, the point is, the disciples responded the same way we will today. 
And then, he, and then Jesus responded. He said, not everyone can accept this thing, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. You know what a eunuch is. A eunuch is someone who can't have sex. For there were eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. They had no control over it. That's just how they were born. There are eunuchs who were made by men. We can think of this example as kings who would take, take young, young boys or men and castrate them so that they could then put them as guards over their harems and over their wives so they wouldn't have to worry about whether or not they were having sex with their concubines and wives so they would be castrated. He said there are eunuchs who were made, made by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. And this is exactly what he's saying. He's saying there are people who have chosen to remain celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's teaching here. And to take this and say that's not what he's teaching, he's talking about a whole other topic. To say he's talking about a whole other topic is to completely take it out of the exact context in which he was given. The context is divorce and remarriage. The disciples say, that can't be. You, you, I have to be allowed to divorce and remarry. What if she does so-and-so? What if she does so-and-so? I've got to be able to divorce her and marry some, somebody else. And Jesus said, look, not everybody can accept this. But there are people who will choose to remain celibate the rest of their lives for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. This is the context in which Jesus is answering his disciples. So, let's look at other teachings on the topic. We see it again in, Matthew, in Mark 10, 1 through 12. He set out from there, went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan, and crowds converged on him, and again, and as, as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then in Luke, uh, when they were, uh, I didn't finish Mark. When they were in the house again, the disciples uh, questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Mark didn't give an exception. Then we look at Luke. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Can you see? And everyone, yeah, it was cut off on that. Luke didn't give an exception. This is all we have on Jesus teaching this. This is it. This is all we got on the topic. This is all Jesus taught. I just read every bit of it. Too. That's all he taught. Now, before we look at the exceptions, let's go back to Deuteronomy 24 and look at what Moses actually said. And then we're going to look at what Paul said. This is what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24. This is what everybody used to say, God said we can get a divorce. It says, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Does this sound like God said it's okay? If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, that word indecent is, people struggle to translate that, but most scholars believe it has something to do with sexual immorality. Most scholars believe it has to do with sexual immorality. 
If we find something decent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. I believe this sounds like God says it's okay to do a divorce. So why is there a problem? Because, and I rarely say this, but I'm going to say this, it was in Hebrew, not in English. English is a translation, and all translators have to make assumptions in how to translate it into English. And if you compare the Christian standard to some other versions like the New American Standard, you're going to see that when it says he may write, that's the Hebrew word vav, one, one letter, vav. You know what? It's used 30, over 30,000 times in Hebrew. Over 30,000 times. You know what it means 20,000 times out of the 33,000? It means and. It's just a simple conjunction. That's all it is. We got a lot of conjunctions. We know that and means both and. That's what and means. Or means one or the other. With means they're together. We have a lot of conjunctions and they all have specific meanings and contexts. But in the ancient Hebrew, 3,500 years ago when language was first being written, this simple vav was just used and it could mean and, it could mean with, it could, it could be used all kinds of ways. So what is the, the only way you know is by context. What's the context say? Right, here's, here's the Bible. It means and. Well, the American Standard puts it this way. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out from his house. By the way, these are all five, 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 five. This is not the end of the sentence. In Christian standard, it was the end of the sentence because that was translated as he may write her a certificate of the divorce and send it from the house. And in New American Standard, it's not the end of the sentence because it's it goes he's if he if he divorces her and writes her certificate of divorce and sends her away and she marries someone else, it goes on. If after leaving his house she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the second man hates her writes her a divorce certificate, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house, or if he dies. So, I know that's confusing. A man divorces his wife. If she marries another man, and he divorces her, or if he dies. Or if he dies. It says, the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she has been defined. That's the key. If you take it as he may divorce her, then if she marries another man and he dies, how has she been defined? If she was legitimately divorced and she remarried, she can remarry. If God says, okay, you can divorce, and therefore in my sight you're no longer joined and you're no longer married, if she marries another man, she's not going to be defined. The reason she's defiled is because in God's sight they were still married and she then had sex with another man. And you can't get away from that. And so when they're quoting Deuteronomy 24, Jesus is saying, look, he permitted you to divorce and separate because of the hardness of your hearts. But he didn't permit you to then remarry another man while your spouse is still alive. Otherwise, you become defiled. So let's look at Romans. Because here's the thing about the man dying. 
Paul teaches in Romans, for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. And, and I'm going to read the next verse, but the point is, Paul clearly teaches, if your spouse dies in God's sight, you're not married, and you can get remarried, and there's no problem. That's what Paul's teaching, because it goes on to say it again in the next verse. So then, if she is married to another man, while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she's married to another man, she's not an adulteress. So Paul teaches very clearly, if your spouse dies, you are free to remarry. But if your spouse is still alive and you remarry, it's adultery. And then we'll look at 1 Corinthians 7.10. This is the other time Paul teaches on this. He says, To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. What does that mean? It means Paul is saying, This is what I received from the Lord. This is the teaching I received from the Lord. This is what I got from Him. Okay? This is the command from Jesus that I received from His teachings. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Paul said, that's all Jesus taught. Paul said, the only thing I got from Jesus is you're not to separate, you're not to divorce. But if you do, you remain unmarried or be reconciled. That's it. And what it means is, is this idea that Jesus is saying, and Paul is reiterating Jesus, when you marry someone and you make a vow to God that you're going to spend the rest of your life with that person, what you're saying is, it's you and only you. You and no one else. It's me and you the rest of our lives, and if we can't work it out, and if we can't stay together, and we get divorced, it's nobody else. I will stay single. I will stay single or be reconciled to you, but that's it. It's you forever, and that's it. Because it's a covenant, not a contract. A contract can be broken and dissolved. A covenant can be broken but not dissolved. A covenant still in force, even if you break it. And we want that from God for our salvation. We want our salvation as a covenant relationship with God. We want to come to Him in faith, and then if we're unfaithful to God, we tell God, I'm turning from sin, and I'm following you. But if I then am unfaithful to you and jump back in sin, I don't want you to break your covenant with me. I want it to still be enforced. I don't want to lose my salvation. I want to stay saved. But if my wife breaks her covenant with me, I don't want to have to forgive her. I want to leave her and find somebody else. We can't do that as Christians. We can't do it. So that's the rule. But then he goes on. And he starts to get into exceptions. Because they have written him and he's got to address the situations. Paul's acting as a pastor now. And this is where my problem comes in as a pastor. Paul's acting as a pastor, and he says, okay, about the matters that you wrote me, about the situations you wrote me, let me address those. He said, but I, not the Lord, meaning Jesus didn't teach about these. I gave you everything Jesus said. I gave it to y'all, but here, I'm going to try to address these situations. He said, but I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. 
For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, her children would be unclean. But as it are, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Now this bound is translated as bound. It's the word um, dulu. It's the word for slave. So it's a brother or sister is not a slave in such a case. Or a brother or sister is not enslaved in such a case. Does this mean if their unbelieving spouse leaves, can they remarry? It depends on how you look at it. If you come from the perspective of marriage is constituted by a vow to God, and as unbelievers they've never made a vow to God, you can come at it from that perspective and say, they never made a vow to God, so therefore they were never married, they were just living in sexual immorality. And, if, and then one became a Christian, and then the unbeliever left. They were never really married, they were just living in sexual sin. Therefore, they're free to remarry. If you came from it from that perspective. If you come from it from the other perspective and say, they were married, and therefore one, the unbeliever left, in God's eyes, they're still married, therefore you're not free to get remarried, but you, because you are called to live in peace, you should not then try to force yourself to live in a house with the unbeliever who doesn't want to live with you, and then do the opposite of what we talked about in, in Deuteronomy 24, where you separate because you can't live peaceably together. You see the problem? And I'll tell you right now, I don't know which one's right. I don't know. So therefore, I can't, I can't give advice to someone in that situation. I can't tell you it's okay to remarry. Or I can't tell you it's not okay to remarry. I don't know. And it doesn't stop there. We have a lot of these problems that I don't know. So it goes on. If we jump back to the exception, Matthew 5, 31 and 32, it says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me give you the real quick how you can see this. It appeared to me, it appears to me, that this is a rebuke of the man, not of the, the woman. In the, in the context, the woman commits sexual immorality. In the context. So, if you divorce, a man divorces his wife because she's committed some type of sexual immorality, that's the context. If he divorces her, except in the case where she's committed sexual immorality, he causes her to commit adultery. Does that make sense? So, in other words, unless she committed adultery, if you divorce her, you're the reason she commits adultery. The rebuke is of the man. The rebuke is on the man for saying, no, 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 no. If you divorce her and she remarries, you, it's your fault she's committing adultery. Unless, except in the case of where she's already committed adultery. That's her fault. You see that exception? I can see that, and it still doesn't give you permission to get remarried. But, jump to Matthew 19.9. It says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. In this context, we're not talking about one. In this context, it seems very clear that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, meaning him, if he marries another, commits adultery. In this context, it seems as if it's clear if she commits adultery, then if he remarries, it's not adultery. That's what it seems like to me. The only problem is how do I actually play that out as a pastor? This is why it's a problem. 
One, because it goes against every single other verse of Scripture on the topic of marriage and divorce and adultery. This one verse goes against every single other one. All the others go together, they all mesh, they all make the same idea, and then this one throws in an exception. But I said it three years ago, and the last time I talked about this, and I'll say it again. God's only got to say it one time for it to be true. He's only got to say it once for it to be true. So it makes it hard for me to understand how, based on all the other scriptures and passages, how is it that it's not adultery? You have to bring that in. How is it not adultery? And the only way I can reconcile that is if by breaking the marriage covenant, which is a sexual covenant by nature, it's a sexual covenant by nature, by breaking that sexual covenant by sexual immorality, God does permit that marriage to be dissolved in His mind because you broke the covenant through sexual immorality. That's the only way I can understand it for this to make sense to me based on everything else. It's the only way I can grasp it. But in context, Jesus also said, if you lust after a woman, you commit adultery. So remember the example I gave at the beginning? We're going to come back. As a pastor, a woman comes to me and says her husband has cheated on her and she wants to get a divorce or she got, let's say she got a divorce because her husband cheated on her and now she wants to remarry and she comes to me and wants to get remarried. Am I allowed to perform that marriage? According to this verse, it would appear as if I could. I could perform that marriage. But what if she said, I was walking in Walmart and we were all, our marriage was already on the rocks, and I couldn't stand it anyways. And we were walking at Walmart, and I seen him checking out another girl, and I filed for a divorce right there. Well, Jesus said lust is adultery, so would that give her the right to then break that union and then remarry? I, I personally don't think so. Now, you can say I'm wrong, but this is why, at least here, why. Because I would be put in a situation as a pastor where I would say, you caught your husband checking out a woman, so you got a divorce. Okay, I'll remarry you. And then the next woman comes in and said, for years my, my husband beat me. And he beat me and he brutalized me and he did all this junk. And I would say, I'm sorry, but you don't have scriptural grounds to get remarried. You, can, you should get divorced because you should not live in a marriage where somebody's beating you. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not one up here saying, oh, you should forgive him no matter what he does or you should stay with him. I'm not taking that stance. You should leave him until he truly repents and will never touch you again that way. If it's not true repentance, you should leave him. But to say to Jane Doe, you saw your husband looking at some girl, okay, I'll remarry you. Your husband beat you to a pole. I'm not going to remarry you. As a pastor, I can't do that. Because I don't think that's the heart of what Jesus was trying to teach. I don't think he was trying to teach. If you can come to me and say, you think that your husband had lustful thoughts about another woman, sure, I'll, I'll, everything's gone, we'll remarry, no problem. The husband that beat you, do you think he ever looked at a woman lustfully? Okay, sure, we'll remarry you. In other words, what happens is, I would take the exception and make it the rule. Because there's an exception, I would then say, okay, well, because there's an exception, uh, in essence, I'll pretty much just remarry anybody. And I'll nullify the rule. 
But to do that, I have to go against the heart of what Scripture is teaching. Jesus said, here's the rule. The rule is, if you get a divorce, except for sexual immorality, which I think is a bigger deal than just you, 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 look, you look, took a glance. Jesus said, except for sexual immorality, you can't get divorced and remarried. You can't. And so I can't take a position as pastor where everybody comes in and I just say, okay, it's okay to get remarried. Okay, it's okay to get remarried. Okay, it's okay to get remarried. I can't take the exception and nullify the rule. And sadly, that's what I see all throughout our country, all throughout churches, is I don't see pastors telling people, you are not allowed to remarry. And your marriage is adultery. I don't hear that. I don't see that. Which is why I have to say maybe there's something I'm missing because the six pastors I've talked to all have genuine, sincere hearts of love for their members. And all six of them say that they would never counsel someone to separate because their marriage is adulterous. None of them. And therefore, I'm not going to either until I can get some kind of clarity and resolve on this. Not going to do it. And you say, well, that's hypocritical of you to stand up here and preach for way over time. Ooh. It's hypocritical for me to stand up here and preach to you and say that if you got remarried, other than this one exception, which I'm still unclear as actually under what circumstances this would count, if you got remarried, then your, your marriage is adulterous. Jesus said it's adulterous. As a pastor, I must recommend to all people, all Christians living in sin, you must stop sinning as a pastor. And I, I talked with this last pastor I talked to. I said, do you know of a single sin in the church? One. Do you know of a single sin in the church where your congregate came up to you, you knew that they were living in sin, and you did not encourage them to stop sinning? One. They said, no, I can't think of one. I said, well, you will when we talk about this topic. And then we talked about the topic, and at the end, he said, no, I would not encourage them to stop living in an adulterous relationship. This is it. This is the one scenario in which it appears to be clear that Jesus said this is sin and adulterous. This is the one scenario that every pastor I've talked to said it would be wrong, it would be against God to tell them to stop living in this adulterous relationship. Because every one of them, in one way or another, has convinced, are convinced, are convinced, that through certain steps, whatever those steps may look like, that marriage then stops being adultery and becomes holy. If you tell God I'm sorry, if you say I know what I did was wrong, but I commit to live in a holy way with you, they all believe the adulterous relationship is no longer adultery and now it's a holy marriage. If they're right, I would love for them to be right. I'm biased. I'm biased towards I want them to be right. If they're right, the worst possible thing I could do as a pastor is to tell a married couple who's living in a holy marriage to separate. That's the worst thing I could do. To tear apart that marriage, to separate them, it's the worst thing I could do. But if they're wrong, and it is adultery, then the worst thing I could do is tell them that it's right. Because we started this whole thing, and i got a lot more verses to show you, but I'm just going to skip them all. We started the whole thing with this right here. 
Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's what Jesus said. And so here's my thing. You say, well, it's hypocritical for you to say, stand up here and say any marriage other than the exception clause of Matthew 19, any remarriage is adulterous if their spouse is still alive. For you to say that and then to say you're not going to tell me whether or not it's okay for us to stay together or whether or not we should separate, you're not going to tell me that, that's a pretty hypocritical stance as a pastor to do that. I get that. I get that. But I'm stuck. Because I'm the only one. I can't, I mean, I just, I, I'm convinced that because I'm the only one, there must be something I'm missing. If there's something I'm missing, you're free to share that with me. If there's something I'm missing, I'm, I'm praying that one of these pastors will share that with me. But we must do this. So regardless of your current situation, we're going to put your current situation off the table. Because more than half of Americans, more than half of adults have been divorced and remarried. More than half. And that's no different for this church and it's no different for this community. More than half. It's no different for my family. I'm not, not affected by this. Regardless of the situation you're in now, regardless of what you should do, this is what we all must do, including you if you're in that situation. You must teach others not to break the commands. You must teach others it's not okay to get a divorce and remarry if your spouse is still alive. You must teach others that you are to remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse if they're still alive. That's what we're to teach others. And we're not to teach them it's okay I know Jesus said it's adultery, but I'm telling you, Pastor so-and-so said it's not adultery, so it's okay. That's all I can leave you with. Regardless of the mistakes we've all made, the next generation, those coming up after us, we've got to tell them the truth. We've got to teach them the truth. We've got to tell them the only thing that dissolves a marriage is death and sexual immorality, whatever that may, however that may play out. Other than that, you got to stay unmarried to be reconciled to your spouse. Because God doesn't want you to get a divorce and get into an adulterous relationship. He wants you to be reconciled to your spouse. He wants you both to repent. So that's, that's how we go forward. I wish, I wish, with all I've got as your pastor, I wish I could tell you, look, I understand it. I've got it all figured out. I know what circumstances constitutes a legitimate marriage. I know what circumstances constitutes an adulterous relationship. I wish I could stand up here and tell you this, but I can't. And honestly, I don't think there's any topic other than this one that would have me removed from this church as pastor by a vote of no confidence or would cause me to voluntarily step away from the ministry because I cannot do what I need to do as pastor. This is the only one I've got. But I'm asking you, regardless of where you come down on this, I'm asking you to look at the Scriptures and, and, and take them honestly. And if there's something I'm missing, share it with me. If you want to talk to another pastor about it, talk to another pastor about it. But have them talk to me. Don't just go to them to get somebody to support your side. Have them talk to me because I want to know. 
I'm not up here saying anybody that's against me is wrong. I want to know. I want to know if I'm wrong. But I cannot stand up here and pretend and preach something I don't truly believe genuinely from my heart. And this is where I'm at. I love you. And I hope you can understand where I stand and I hope you can understand why I'm stuck. I don't know, I don't know what to do from here. All I know is we must teach the next generation not to do the same thing we have. That's all I know. I love you all. We're way, way over time. So I want to close in prayer. And our last song is short. I would ask that you stay. But if you've if you got something you got to go to understand, but I would ask that you stay for this last song. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we we must wrestle and struggle with your word and we must accept it and we must do everything we can to understand it correctly because we all want it to say one thing and every time it says something we don't want it to say, it's a struggle. Father, I ask more than anything you give us complete clarity on this topic so that we know how to live it out. Not just what it teaches, but how to actually live it out. I love you, Father. I love everybody in this church. And Father, I pray for healthy marriages. I pray for strong marriages that represent your relationship with the Bible. Father, I love you. And Father, I know that you through the Holy Spirit will guide us. You will guide us as a church and you will guide us as individuals. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name I pray. Amen.